Imagine you're looking at a laptop computer. Now shrink that picture in your head, and you've basically got an idea of what the Dragonbox Pyra looks like. I'm Brad Linder, and this is LPX. The Dragonbox Pyra is a tiny computer that you can hold in one hand. It has a 5-inch screen and a keyboard with keys so small that you have to use your thumbs to type, the way you would with a smartphone. But this little computer isn't a smartphone, and it's not really a laptop either. It's more like a cross between a laptop and a handheld game console. There are buttons above the keyboard that come in handy for playing games, and they make the Pyra look a little bit like Nintendo DS. But the Dragonbox Pyra isn't just for gaming. It runs Linux-based software, and you can use the Pyra to surf the web, edit documents, watch videos, or do most of the other things that you would do with a bigger computer. Michael Morozik's been working on the Pyra for a few years, and we spoke shortly after he assembled a working prototype of the final hardware and started taking pre-orders for the tiny computer. A lot of people who've been following the project were pretty excited by that, but Morozik says a lot of other people have complained about the high price of the Pyra. It's expected to sell for 500 euros, which is about $575. While it's just an overpriced piece of crap, um, which is, while it's better if you just buy an Android phone and stick to gaming controls to play games. No. Um, Well, actually, that's something I often hear. But seriously, the Dragonbox Pyra is, basically, it's a complete miniature PC. Um, with a lot of special features that you can find on any other mobile device. So it's unlike any smartphone. It's not meant to be a smartphone or anything like that. It's a complete PC and uh, it's very flexible and modular. You can easily disassemble it. So it's hacker friendly. It runs Linux and it uh, can easily be repaired and upgraded. Now, now as you mentioned, some people, some people really get this. Some people are really excited. As soon as it went up for pre-order, hundreds of people placed pre-orders. And then there are a lot of other people who read about a project like this on the internet and they say, well, why shouldn't I just use my smartphone or why can't I just buy something like a Game Boy or a Nintendo DS? Exactly, yes. So so what does it do that's different from existing solutions? Well, if you directly compare the Pyro, there is no existing solution. Um, it's only if you compare a specific feature. For example, the, the guys who say that, they, that you can use a smartphone with uh, controls attached only see it as a gaming device. And yes, if it's only seen as a gaming device, then the price is very high and I would rather use a different device myself. But it's not just a gaming device. You can use it as a complete PC. It runs a Linux desktop, not just a small crippled version, but the full uh, Debian Linux. And uh, you can connect mouse and keyboard and HDMI and use it as a desktop PC as well. So gaming is just one feature of it, um, but it's basically like a desktop PC just for your pocket. And you can also game, but you can also work with it. The little computer has the kind of hardware that you'd expect from a smartphone or a tablet. It has a 5-inch, 1280 by 720 pixel touchscreen display and a small keyboard. The Dragonbox Pyro features 2 gigabytes or 4 gigabytes of RAM, 32 gigabytes of storage, and Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. And it's powered by a Texas Instruments OMAP5 dual-core system-on-a-chip, or SOC. But it also has some features that you don't find on a lot of smartphones. For example, the battery is removable, and there are two full-size USB ports, as well as a micro-USB port and another one for charging. And in addition to the built-in storage, the Pyra has two full-sized SD card slots and a micro-SD card slot, so you can add your own storage for games, movies, music, or other files. You can even boot an operating system from one of the SD cards, which lets you try out different operating systems without erasing the one that's already installed. Morozik has spent the last 10 years helping develop products like the Dragonbox Pyra, and he says while they may look like portable game systems, they're much more versatile. It's incredibly useful if, for example, you go on holidays. The Pandora, which is a a predecessor of the Pyra, um, is something I always have with me. When I go on holidays on the plane, I play some games with a, a, 
built-in D-pad and gaming controls. When I'm at the hotel, I connect to Wi-Fi, download my emails. At the beach, I reply to the emails, upload them later. Then when I'm in the hotel room, I connect it to the TV to play games or to uh, watch some videos. So yeah, you can basically do anything with just one device. And if you don't have that much space and are going on holidays or something like that, it's perfect. The Dragonbox Pyrite isn't for everyone. It's kind of expensive, and it's not as powerful as most laptop or desktop computers. But Morozik says there's a community of people who've been clamoring for a device like the Pyra. Basically, it's for people who like to hack, to, who'd like to play around, who appreciate the many features we put in. For example, I know many of the customers I have love Linux, and they absolutely dislike that. Well, in other operating systems, you have to add your account details. You can't do what you want. You're pretty much locked to uh, what the device offers you to do. And uh, also they like how the system is easily fixable. For example, we don't have anything glued. We only have screws. You can open it yourself. You can get all the uh, repair and replacement parts from our company directly. So, for example, if you try to mess with the case to add your own features and it didn't work out, then you can simply buy a new case and won't have to throw away the device. And yeah, we made it very modular and flexible, even so far that we have the uh, CPU not mounted on the main board, but it's an optional board. So you can remove the CPU board and you can, can put a new one on there, which means that in the near future we can offer uh, CPU upgrades, which always helps you to keep the device up to date. And these updates will probably cost around 100 and 120 euros, depending on what CPU and for what price we can get the CPU. But that means you don't need to buy a new device or like you do with smartphones every two or three years. You can just simply upgrade the current device, which will save money in the future. So yeah, at the beginning, it's it's a bit expensive, yes, but it is valuable if you uh, look at all the features it has. But in the future, you even save a bit more money by having the chance to upgrade it. I love being open. So the schematics will be open for the device and all the connectors will also be um, described. So people could create their own uh, CPU boards or people could also create a main board where our CPU board connects to and build their own uh, desktop PC with it. So there are a lot of possibilities if you look at that. And that's what we wanted. We wanted to be open. We wanted to be hacker friendly so that everyone can do what he wants with it. And well, that's totally different from, from what you can do with any smartphones or other mobile devices. Now, now, is there some software that has to be closed? I know sometimes when you're dealing with Linux projects, you might not be able to access the source code for, say, the wireless or the display drivers. Um, yeah, there. That's that's always the problems with the mobile SOCs. It's really, really horrible with mobile SOCs, to be honest. Um, Wi-Fi is not that much of an issue, I think, because the Wi-Fi firmware itself is closed, but the driver that loads the firmware is open. That means that you can still upgrade uh, the operating system and keep the kernel up to date and still use the Wi-Fi. It would be horrible if the driver itself would be closed because then you would be stuck to an older version of the kernel and couldn't update it. With the graphics, it's always a problem, regardless what CPU you use. Um, with mobile processors, the GPU is always built in the CPU uh, as well. So, so if you buy an ARMAP, you always have to use the PowerVR. And that one is closed, which is the same with, I think, mostly every other device as well. So um, it's impossible to get any mobile device which doesn't have closed 3D drivers, basically. It's a bit sad, but uh, at least if you can make them usable, um, it's not that bad because you can use the hardware, you just can't change it or fix something in it. 
So you mentioned the the OMAP processor. This is made by Texas Instruments, a company that actually a few years ago decided to stop making consumer chips for smartphones and tablets and so forth and really focus more on enterprise devices. Why did you choose to go with this this Texas Instruments uh, OMAP 5 processor for this device? Well, that question is easy to answer. It wasn't uh, it was impossible getting any other SOC to be honest. Um, the problem with SOCs is that uh, they're all very much fixed in the smartphone market and no company actually wants to sell you their processor. We tried with NVIDIA, we tried with Samsung, we tried with Qualcomm, uh, we tried with anybody, um, but it just didn't work out. We could probably use a Rock chip, but Rock chip and Linux support is not that good yet. Um, I know we could get an all winner, but all winner violates the GPL and I don't think I would like to release a Linux device to the free people with a chip that violates the GPL. Uh, Qualcomm actually contacted me uh, after I announced that I would use the OMAP 5 and asked me why I didn't want to use a Qualcomm. And I said, yeah, sure, set me up, I want to do it. And then somebody, somehow they never really uh, got back to me. So I would love to use a different SOC if it's available. Often if you try to get an SOC, you have to buy at least 100,000 or a million of them. And this is just not feasible for uh, a small niche device. So the OMAP 5 basically was the fastest CPU we could get which we could also use. So that's a good start. And if the Pyra really works out, then maybe uh, I could get different or better CPUs in the future because then I've got something to show to the companies, which is very, very important as well. And and I think some people have wondered why you didn't choose to use an Intel Atom processor. Now that seems like a really good decision since Intel has decided that they're going to start phasing out the Atom processors. But had you considered that originally? Well, when we started a few years ago, the Intel Atom processor wasn't as good as it was now. Um, it was still using a lot of power and uh, wasn't really ready for mobile devices. Uh, a different thing is that the Pandora was already using ARM, and we have a lot of things that are optimized for ARM, especially in the mobile market. All the Android games, everything is always optimized to ARM. And the thing is with x86 stuff, it's mostly meant for desktop PCs. And then desktop PCs, because they have the power, nobody cares about optimizing the software that much. So even if you have a mobile x86 CPU, if you try to run the x86 games or programs, it would just be overkill and they wouldn't be able to cope with it. So that's an experience we didn't want to. With the Pandora, um, even with the repository we've got set up, if you download a game for the Pandora, you can be sure it will run, similar like on an open console. Um, if you use an x86 CPU and you have a complete normal PC, then you install all the stuff you wanted to try and only to find out that only 30% of the stuff is really playable and the rest is just too slow to be any fun. So this is something I personally don't like. If I want to play, I just want to play and not try to fiddle around uh, too much. So, so let's talk about the the, the Open Pandora, which is, uh, as you mentioned, sort of the predecessor to the Dragonbacks uh, Pyra. This is a project that you were involved in to create a similar device, didn't have all the same features and had you know, some different hardware. But this is something that uh, was under development for a long time, got a little bit of criticism for slow shipping. People placed orders and had to wait a really long time to get it. But a lot of people who did get theirs really, really seemed to enjoy them. Uh, tell me a little bit about Open Pandora and what you learned there and how it's informed what you're doing now. <laughs> well, yeah, the Pandora, um, some would call it really a disaster at some time, which it basically was, and it was really, really a, a trip to hell I've been through with that. 
Um, back at the Pandora time, I wasn't really producing it myself. I was part of the team, but my part basically was um, keeping in touch with the community, uh, making videos, uh, doing the pre-orders here in Germany. I wasn't really uh, involved with the production itself. I think the the one who made the production from UK, um, I don't think he had had bad intentions. He really tried to do and create the device for that price, but he was very unexperienced and I think a bit too optimistic. So a lot of issues happened during the production, which first uh, slowed things down and delayed things. And then, of course, eventually sometime the money ran out. So he didn't have any funding left and sometimes he wanted to give up. I just thought, no, I don't want to give up. I know we've got a device here. We just need to secure the production. We need to find a way to stabilize the production. Um, so I tried to get some some investors who believed in the project. And yes, I got 300,000 euros from them, which was enough to move the uh, complete production over to Germany. From then on, we didn't have any issues anymore. So the original guy who was in charge for the production uh, is not part of the team anymore. He's uh, out of business now. And uh, I tried to continue everything and it worked pretty well. So then we, we suddenly had the Pandoras available from stock. I could deliver out, uh, the units to all my pre-orders. And we also could, together with the community, deliver the units to most of his pre-orders. There still are some left, but uh, they won't be forgotten because I offered them that they will get the Pyra for production cost price when the production is stable here as well. So... Yeah, it was pretty much a trip to hell, but uh, I managed once I managed to get the production into stable waters, everything went fine. And I just saw Pandora today for five going for five hundred US dollar on eBay. And well, we will have some Pandoras probably left in stock next month, and they will be cheaper than those five hundred US dollars. But it's interesting to see that they still go for such a high price. And that so many people are still using it. And those are the people who are also waiting for the Pyra now. And and all of this sort of happened at a time when mobile processors were still relatively new. The smartphone revolution was really just starting to, to take off. And also crowdfunding was something that wasn't as prevalent as it is now. These days, people often go to Kickstarter or Indiegogo. They say, I've got an idea for something that I think would make a really cool project. Do you want to help me build it? You were sort of doing that at a time when there wasn't that kind of infrastructure. There wasn't a Kickstarter when you when you started, right? Yeah, exactly. When we started the device and first presented it, there wasn't any smartphone out there. Not even the iPhone did exist at the time. I think it came half a year later. So um, the device was pretty baffling for everybody. Nobody has seen something like that before. And uh, the Kickstarter didn't exist, so we did our own um, uh, setup where we told the people, here's what we want to do. We need the money to produce it so you can pre-order it now. So if all those bad things wouldn't have happened and uh, we wouldn't have so many issues during the production at the beginning, then it would probably have become one heck of a device because it was first. And and we're talking now uh, shortly after you started taking pre-orders. Uh, you haven't officially announced when the, the finished product will ship because you don't want to make a promise you can't keep. And um, is that one of the reasons you decided to do this through your own website instead of going through something like Kickstarter? No, not really. The The reason I didn't use that was because uh, crowdfunding sites usually ha add another 10% um, they keep for themselves to the price. So I wanted to keep the price as low as possible. It is already pretty expensive and a lot of people are just calling me a greedy CEO because they think we are actually making money from this. But Actually, when the first 1,000 have been sold, I think we still have uh, to get 180,000 euro development costs back. So it's not really greedy, but people don't see that. So 
in order to not increase the price too much, uh, we wanted to try ourselves first. If we wouldn't get enough pre-orders here, we could still set up a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo. But at first, we didn't want to do that. I first wanted to try it myself. So, so you know, we've thrown around a couple of numbers here. Clearly, you have no way of knowing exactly how many people are going to buy these. But we're talking numbers in the hundreds or the thousands, not the probably not the hundreds of thousands or the millions, the way that some companies might want to want to sell a product like this, right? Well, if you we were talking about millions, then the price would probably drop by more than half, which is also the the problem, which is hard to to make people understand. So, for example, you have two hundred thousand euro development costs. And you need to get those back. If you only say 1,000 devices, then 200 euro per device would need to be made just to get the development costs back. So if you produce 1 million of these devices, then it's only 20 cent. So the difference between selling 1,000 and 1 million would make 200 euro uh, price difference just to get the development costs back. This is something people don't understand. I see a lot of people comparing the Pandora, uh, the Pyra or the Pandora to smartphones and then saying, while they are just greedy, they just want to make a lot of profit because this can be done a lot cheaper. Yes, it can if you actually have the fundings to create one million devices, but that's not possible with a niche product. Right. And and part of the reason that you're making this is because Apple isn't doing it or Asus isn't doing it. It's it's something that, you know, this little scrappy startup in Germany is doing. It's it's you and and are you working with people or is it mostly you? Mm, well, it's mostly me, but uh, I've got experts who are creating I'm, I've got companies contracted to create the case, the design, the PCBs. Uh, so I'm basically mostly organizing it, which is Already a lot of work, to be honest. Right. And and so, you know, again, if, if there was some other company that was making products that you just wanted to buy, you probably wouldn't have to design your own. Yes, exactly. But this is something that you've been doing for the last uh, 10 years or so because you wanted to bring something into the world that didn't already exist, right? Doesn't exist anymore because, funnily enough, uh, if you go back a few years, you've got smartphones with uh, replaceable batteries. You've got smartphones which had keyboards. And um, the, pr the problem is they are all gone now. So... The smartphones are getting bigger and bigger. Uh, you can't usually change the battery or repair them yourself. So everything we are re-adding is basically something that was standard before, but it just has been lost, probably because of costs. Because if you make a replaceable battery, it adds costs to the production, and the companies are just trying to make as much profit as possible. So, so what got you interested in this space in the first place? You know, going, going back to your beginnings with Open Pandora, how did you get involved and and start contributing to this project? These projects. Well, I was always a fan of open devices and especially of devices that are not made by huge companies, but by a small group of people and, and uh, developers. Not only hardware-wise, but also software-wise. Um, long, long ago with the GP32, when that one came out from uh, Game Park, I bought that and I was amazed that you could uh, run homebrew games uh, on the go on a mobile device. And homebrew games were a lot more interesting for me than commercial games because it felt like back the old days when the computers were first started. You have a small group of people who is coding a game, but they're putting all the love they have into that game, which is different from now commercial games, which are, of course, huge blockbuster titles where hundreds of people are working on the product, on the uh, game. You're just a small part of the team. It's totally different than when you are basically a team of five members and everybody puts his everything into it. That's always the case with smaller devices. So I always was a fan of that. And uh, when I had the chance to get involved into something like that myself, I said, okay, why not? Let's try our best. And that's how the Pandora came to be. 
Now, now, do you have background working with software or hardware in, in any capacity? Not really. I own, well, except for that I grew up with computers and always built my computers myself. But while I know a bit of Linux, I can do some scripting, but I'm not really a coder or a hardware designer. I'm basically just a fan. That's what I said. I'm mostly organizing the things, being there for the community and trying to make the best and uh, of that. So, so what's the design process for the, for the Dragonbacks Pirate like? Do you just sort of come up with ideas and then... You know, find people to help design the case, design the, the circuit boards, etc.? Uh, well, basically, we had the Pandora, and the Pandora basically was a great device. Um, we sold, I think, 7,500 of them. And as I mentioned, people are still using these today, and they are still amazed and are, still think the device is useful. But after all these years, um, it had aged a bit. The processor is getting too slow. Keyboards uh, would be better if you had a backlight, because if you are trying to type in the dark, you always try to get some light from the screen in order to find the buttons, the correct ones. So the Pandora was a great device, but it could be improved. So we thought about how could we improve the Pandora. And that's basically where all the ideas came from. Together with the community where I discussed uh, these ideas about them and then saw, yeah, that's a good idea or that's not a good idea. So the improvements are we've got a backlit keyboard now, which also have been uh, improved by the tactile feedback and by the keyboard layout. The old 800 times 480 screens had to be upgraded with a high-resolution screen. Uh, screen also got bigger with 5-inch now, so the speaker have moved down in order that we have the uh, full uh, width for the screen. And Wi-Fi had to get better. We could use mobile internet. Uh, that was Those were all ideas that we wanted to improve and what we actually did. Um, one thing that uh, annoyed me back then with the Pandora was the Pandora was a great design board, but now that we wanted to start on a new on a device, on a successor, we had to redesign it completely ourselves. And this was a lot of work and it took quite a few years just to do that. So thinking about the future, I was also thinking, how could we improve that? And that's also a reason we made the modular design. Now we just can keep everything the same and only have to upgrade the CPU board, for example or the display and the display board if uh, there's something new available. Right. I guess when people think about bigger or better known products like a smartphone or, or a computer that you buy from a major company, every six to 12 months, they have a brand new one with all sorts of new hardware. In When you're when you're sort of doing a DIY version like, like this, um, it takes a long time to do this. And this has been under development for a couple of years now. And so I guess the modular design means that if you want to do an upgrade, you just have to design the part that you're going to upgrade. You don't need a brand new case, uh, at least not for a number of years. You can just put in the, the new processor or additional storage or whatever and let people buy that without having to go through the entire design process from scratch, right? Yes, exactly. That's one thing. We can upgrade the system faster. We can let the people do it themselves. Um, but I know that other people already also want to do uh, some PCB design for the CPU board. I know somebody is working or wants to work maybe on an x86 or MIPS board. Um, in theory, you could also put a Raspberry Pi on the CPU board and put that in there, and then you've got a portable Raspberry Pi. So... The modular design that we can easily upgrade together with the fact that we are opening up everything means that you can basically do anything with it, which is great. And and so as, as we mentioned, you're sort of the, the, the prime person working on this, but you keep using the word we. Are you talking about members of the, the community who comment in the forums and, and other sort of uh, groups? I mean, who, who is we? 
We is uh, quite a lot of many people, yeah. Um, well, basically, the companies I'm working with, um, the PCB designer, that's Dr. Niklaus Schaller. Maybe you know him uh, from the GTA 04, which he designed, or the Neo 900, which is uh, also being designed by him. He's basically the main guy who is doing the hardware for that. So that's most of the Wii. And of course, I've got some uh, software developers that are known from the Pandora or within the Pandora community, like Notice or ATC. Um, who are actually working on the OS and on the drivers and a lot of other peoples as well. I can possibly uh, count them all because um, they're like on Linux, there are so many people helping out. We even got uh, part of the OMAP5 team from TI um, that is helping out there. So we can afford that TI can help us or support us with the OMAP5. Uh, they won't give us any official support, but if you have people who are working or who did work with the OMAP 5 helping you out in their spare or free time, that's great because you know you've got the experts sitting right there. So that's a large we and it consists of the community, of the designers, of the developers, of everybody who's involved here and that's quite a lot of people. So, so again, right now you've got prototypes and, and they work and you're one of the few people who gets to play with this thing. Uh, eventually people will be able to uh, spend about 500 euros and, and uh, receive one. And when that happens, are they all going to be put together by some manufacturer in China or, the, or are you basically assembling them from parts that are sourced from different companies? How how's, how's that work? The complete production and assembly will happen actually here in uh, Germany. So of the final device, of course, some parts are always being sourced in China. You can't do anything about that. If you buy some chips, they come from China. But we're trying to get as many uh, parts as possible from within Europe. Um, also for the reason that um, if you want to produce in China um, and you want to take make sure that the uh, workers that are actually working on the system are handled properly, that they are not taken advantage of, you have to be directly in China to control that. This is something we can't do. So we decided in order to not let that happen, to uh, make the production as much as possible within Europe. So assembly and PCB production will happen in Germany. The case is actually being designed and produced in Greece. And only some parts are being gotten from China where there's no other source for them. Once you start shipping the first devices, then what do you what do you work on after that? What's what's the next thing that you'll be doing? Well, together with the community, after shipping starts, I of course have to improve the software. The hardware will be finished, but the software will take quite some time to mature. I think it took about two years that the Pandora operating system and software was really, really great and usable. But that's part of the fun. You see how the device matures while you're using it. You can help with that. You can either give ideas uh, and or you can even help coding them. So that will take a lot of work. I will also try to look into uh, getting new SOCs for future upgrades. Because even if I find a company this year which can provide me with a new SOC, it will probably still take a few years until it's ready. So... Don't expect a new SOC coming out next year. That won't happen. And that's something we don't want to. That's something I also don't like, the, the short value of parts these days. Some gaming consoles live for eight years and still work fine. So I think a new SOC every three years is okay, or every two to three years. And, well, that's something I have to source. And 
the author thing that we have to do is see if there are any issues and try to improve them, fix them. If there are small issues, for example, within the case or something like that, then we can easily produce a new case and either send that out for free if it's only just some small part or sell it for three or four euros to the people if it's nothing critical. So we want to improve everything and keep improving for the future. And and even as the device uh, starts to ship with this OMAP processor, um, it's not the most powerful mobile processor available, but it's still, say, significantly more powerful than the original Raspberry Pi computer or some other things that people have been using for media centers, for office machines, for learning how to program. Um, what, what, what have you found the performance to be like on, on these demo units that you've been testing? <laughs> well, actually, um, if you try to compare to the original Raspberry Pi, even the Pandora was a lot faster than the original Raspberry Pi because that was really, really slow. Well, the OMAP 5 still is faster than the fastest available Raspberry Pi these days. I have compared it, well, when desktop usage with uh, some LibreOffice and, and Firefox, and it actually is uh, feels faster than my three- or four-year-old uh, all-in-one PC I've got at work. It's impossible to say how much you can really accomplish if you try to talk in emulators or anything. Dreamcast, PSP, Nintendo DS is all no problem and should be possible, also N64. But in terms of work, something that's very interesting, I think, is that uh, due to the optimization of Linux, the system will always feel faster. For example, the Pandora has a really, really old CPU, a Cortex-A8 in there, but it still runs uh, emulators and games faster than my uh, uh, current smartphone sometimes, and it even feels faster. It doesn't, it doesn't have any hangs. Uh, the system itself is faster. So... Even though the, the OMAP 5 is a bit dated compared to modern smartphones, it might still feel a lot faster. And it's certainly enough for running complex websites and or doing multitasking with LibreOffice and anything. So I even ran some Windows games using Wine and they worked fine. So knit stories or anything like that without any problem. So, I mean, clearly it's not a supercomputer and it's not even really designed for... Um, I mean, these days when you talk about Linux gaming, Steam runs on Linux, but you're not going to be able to play... Yeah, you know, the same sorts of games that you would play on Steam on a desktop PC with a high-powered Intel processor and uh, NVIDIA graphics. But there's still a lot of things, as you mentioned, emulators, being able to play older console-style games, right? Well, yes, but you can also play some more recent games. For example, Jedi Knight uh, already runs on the Pandora. Return to Castle Wolfenstein also runs full speed on the Pandora or Call to Power 2, the uh, Civilization-like game. So there are a lot of games that are already running full speed on the Pandora, and the Pyra should be, depending on the use case, uh, five to eight times faster. So you can expect really, really a lot of things if they are ported properly. You should never expect anything like a desktop experience in a mobile device. It's funny that some people try to compare that. If you've got a 600-watt PC at home and you expect a 2-watt mobile device to do the same things, that will never work. Right, right. I think I think what got me interested in little computers and started uh, why I started the Lilliputing website uh, about eight years ago was the realization that they are little computers. When you talk about netbooks or smartphones or tablets or devices like the Dragonbox Pyra, is that they're multi-purpose devices that can do all sorts of things and many of the same things that you do with a desktop. You just have to temper your expectations. They can do the same thing you would do with a desktop, but slower. Or in this case, because of the way that the software is optimized, say loading a website, when you realize that the CPU needs to go very fast to start loading the website, but then it can just sort of slow down when you're just reading and the same picture is being displayed on the screen. So I think I think that's really what's been impressive to see in these low power processors is how they've allowed us to have long battery life, low power consumption, 
and still do many of the things that you would do with a more powerful computer. If you're only talking about working with a with a system, I think they can do mostly the same as desktop PCs. Of course, if you try to do something like Photoshop or video editing, uh, they won't be powerful enough. But for the standard tasks, doing presentations, preparing them, um, while browsing the web, while listening to music or anything like that, uh, while doing LibreOffice work or replying to emails, that's all tasks that modern smartphones or modern CPUs, mobile CPUs, can do at the same speed as a, a desktop PC. But of course, you can't expect it to run games that really use make use of the full power of a desktop PC to run on a mobile CPU. But for working, I think it's it's about the same speed these days. Another design decision that was kind of interesting here is to use a resistive touchscreen instead of a capacitive touchscreen. And that's something that capacitive makes uh, a touch display easy to use with your fingers. It sort of became popular starting with the iPhone, whereas resist resistive screens are something where you would use a stylus like you would on an old Palm Pilot kind of device. Why did you decide to go with uh, what some people might view as the older technology? Actually, that's something I hear pretty often. They are always claiming, yeah, it uses an outdated touchscreen. Well, uh, the Nintendo DS also uses a kind of outdated touchscreen because they also use a resistive one. Um, actually, resistive is not outdated. It's just a different type of technologies which has advantages and disadvantages. For smartphones, a capacitive screen makes sense. You have them in one hand. You can scroll around with your finger. It's really, really responsive. But if you are using a desktop PC, just think about a desktop environment. You have a lot of windows. They have window decorations which you can use to open, close, and move the windows. And now think you put the exact PC screen on a five inch screen. So these buttons really become tiny and with a finger you can't hit them. It's always a hit and miss and with the stylus it's a lot more accurate because you can actually with the tip of the stylus accurately hit the close or move or uh, whatever buttons. And well, there's a solution. You could make these buttons bigger but then you lose a lot of the screen area. So um, having a resistive stylus makes a lot more sense here because it's more accurate using a stylus here. And while it's still, uh, you can still use your fingers, of course, it's pretty responsive. Um, like on the Pandora, on the Pandora, you can also do swipe and stuff like that, but you don't have multi-touch, which is on a desktop system not needed that much, I think. So the technology is not outdated. They both have their advantages and capacitive makes sense for smartphones. And on the Pandora or the Pyra, where you have to hit small areas and small buttons, then a resistive screen makes a lot more sense. So this might be a difficult question to answer because you've been working on these for so long. But if you weren't building tiny handheld computers, what would you be doing with your free time? <laughs> uh, free time? I never had free time. Uh, well, actually... The stuff I did in the free time led to uh, uh, the Dragon Box or the um, or the Pandora. As mentioned, in my free time, I was always uh, playing around with some games, with homebrew games, with the GP32, and eventually. I ended up selling these things and working on these things, though it was my uh, spare time activity that led to uh, the design. So I would probably, well, I wouldn't probably design these devices, but I would still use them and be a fan of them and follow them. Well, thanks for joining us on the LPX podcast. You're welcome. Thanks. 
Michael Morozik is CEO of the Dragonbox Shop and Open Pandora GmbH. He's also known online by his nickname, Evil Dragon. You can find pictures, detailed specs, a user forum, and much more information at pyra-handheld.com. That's P-Y-R-A-handheld.com. And as always, you can find details about the topic of this show and related links at our website, lpxshow.com. That's also where you'll find links to follow us on social media and a bunch of ways to subscribe to the podcast. LPX is in iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else that you get your podcasts. I've also launched a Patreon campaign. You can help support the show by making a pledge at patreon.com slash bradlinder. There's also a link to that campaign at lpxshow.com. Thanks for listening to LPX. I'm Brad Linder.